You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. I'm Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley once again. We want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the show. If you're new here, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to it on your podcaster app of choice, thank you so much. Subscribe to the channel if you're here watching Gene and I talk in, in quote unquote in person here live and in, in, in video color. And if you're listening wherever you are, you can subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast if you, if you can and also leave us a five-star review on Spotify. You can do that now as well. Again, subscribe to the channel, share this video with your friends, and give this video a like. It really helps us out, and it helps the old YouTube algorithm stuff out as well. Well, Gene, first of all, I want to say happy MLK Day to everybody who's listening. We're even if you're not listening on Monday, we're recording this on MLK Day. So again, happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to all of you out there. But Gene, we we have some interesting topics to discuss here. A, a game where I was asked by a couple people on Twitter if I was going to do a reaction podcast or reaction video or whatever to the Kentucky game. And I thought, no, because I want, I don't want to talk about this game ever again, if I don't, can help it. But I want to talk about it with you. So, and I kind of want to get my thoughts out about it and just kind of this team as a whole, because last time we talked, we didn't talk about this game necessarily a ton. We talked a little bit more just kind of in general, answered a lot of questions that ended up all being basically about Rick Barnes um, from our listeners and stuff. So again, thank you all who sent in questions. Go back and watch that video. I think a lot of the questions still pretty much are pertain to the situation now I don't, I don't know that we've had any more or less answers than we did back then but check it out because we didn't talk a ton of kentucky until the last little bit of that podcast um but gene obviously tennessee goes up to lexington and they didn't just lose they got absolutely blown out of the water 107 to 79 kentucky shot 78 almost 79 percent in the first half of that game Shot only 57% in the second half. <laughs> Finished the game shooting 68% from the floor. 61% from three. And they went 20 of 21 from the free throw line. So part of me looks at that and says, okay, Kentucky was going to beat. If they played Duke, if they played Gonzaga, if they played Auburn, it didn't matter who they would play that game. They're winning that game. If you shoot 20 of 21 from the free throw line, it, it ain't about your team's defense as much as it is about that team just being on. At the same time, though, Tennessee's defense looked the worst it's looked all season in terms of I, I've thought a lot of this this season and really kind of a lot under Rick Barnes. This team has a tendency to kind of overhelp on switches and stuff. I thought in this game they weren't helping enough and they were letting Kentucky drive in the lane. They're giving plenty of wide open threes. Kentucky finished the game with only uh, 36 points in the paint, but they had 27 fast break points compared to one fast break point from Tennessee. Uh, and they had 32 points off of turnovers, and Tennessee only had 11. Uh, Tennessee turned the ball over, what was it, 17, 18 times, 17 times in the game. Uh, Kentucky turned over, tw- actually, t- sorry, Tennessee turned over 20 times in the game. I was looking at the assist numbers. Uh, Kentucky turned over 12. Gene, I'm not ready to, like, jump off a cliff in this game. I, I will say, like, I was upset, like, mentally and stuff on Saturday, but I, I stopped watching in the second half because I thought I've got better things to do. I have things around the house i got to finish up. I'll watch 
highlights later if I really want to, but I had basically seen all I needed to see at that point to know like what to talk about from that game. Tennessee's offense was fine. You and I were talking before we started recording here. If Tennessee scores 79 points in any other game this season, they were possibly undefeated heading into the Kentucky game because they, they would have outscored their opponent every single game except for the LSU game. And they would have tied LSU would have gone to overtime had they scored 79 points in regulation against them. Offense wasn't necessarily the problem for Tennessee. Yes, they still missed some shots, but it was the defense. It was the fact that Kentucky literally could not miss in some cases. They, they started the game, I think, 5-5 five of five from the floor. They had another 5-5 five of five stretch there in early in the first half, too. I mean, Gene, how much, I guess basically, in your opinion, how much stock do you put into this game and judging Tennessee from it? And how much do you say, okay, Kentucky was just going to beat anyone they played? Because I, I think there's that's fair to say that Kentucky was just on and they were going to destroy whoever they played. But I think it's one thing to say that, another thing to give up 107 points in a college basketball game. Like that is, that's got to be, the, I haven't looked at it, but that's the most points I'm betting that Tennessee's given up in. I mean, I'll look it up while you're talking, but it's been a very long time since Tennessee's given up 100 points in a basketball game, in men's basketball. And I just, I think there's plenty of criticism to go around from this game. And and hopefully for Tennessee, this is a wake-up call. But like, man, I've said that for a couple games this year, I feel like. But this one, I feel like losing to your rival the way you did, surely it's a a wake-up call, right, Gene? If it's not this one, then I I think Tennessee's staying asleep the rest of the year because I don't know what would be a wake-up call if not this one. Right. Well... I look at this as more, for, I mean, from, I, I look at it as more of a one-off just, just because, I mean, like I, I when I heard that morning about the passing of Joby Hall, I, I was thinking if this is not a rough, this is, if this is not like one of those just sorts of crazy sorts of games, they're either going to play really horribly or they're going to play really great. Uh, I didn't think there was going to be any in between. And um, like sometimes like a game really just kind of gets away from you. And it, it kind of, when I watched it, when I had the, the portions of the game that I watched, I'm just like, Kentucky's faster than all the loose balls. Kentucky is just not missing. And look, I mean, that was not exactly what you would call a good defensive game from Kentucky either let's be clear Mm. Uh, I mean Tennessee shot a nice percentage from the field um that was the best I mean let's take let me gotta take this consideration too that was the best offensive showing that anybody has had against Kentucky all year um that's tied for the most points anybody has scored on Kentucky this year Mm -hmm. you know Duke had 79 uh the first game of the season and like I'm seeing Kentucky shot I mean sorry Tennessee shot a better percentage from the field they shot a better percent. I mean, they made almost 50% from three-point range. The um, the 11 threes made were the second most by any team that Kentucky has faced. Yeah, it, it was Tennessee's third best efficient, or whatever the E field goal percentage of the entire season. The only games I shot better were against Presbyterian and USC Upstate. So it was their best shooting, is their best effective field goal percentage against an actual, you know, legitimate in a, in a game that matters. In a right. game that yeah. really uh, determines who you are. Um, so I don't put a lot of stock. I'm always of the opinion and look, I know this is an unpopular opinion. Um, but in the sport of basketball, you play every single game and each game, the goal of each and every game is to win. But I'm not a person who gets wrapped up in the rivalry stuff. 
because like the fact of the matter is like a Kentucky would have blown anybody out. It just so happened to be Tennessee, but Tennessee and Kentucky play again in three weeks or however long it is before they play again. So say Tennessee comes out and has this grand performance. Does that lessen what Kentucky did um, two days ago? No. Uh, Like in the grand scheme of things, like, like, yeah, maybe this is unfair, but I understand Rick Barnes has a winning record against John Calipari. I understand that. That's a nice thing. That's a nice thing for Tennessee fans to kind of prop up. It doesn't matter. Like it, it, what are you doing in March? And unfortunately that's the realization because everybody, when anytime I talk about individual games, fans come at me about, well, Barnes doesn't win in March. Okay. Then don't bring up the stuff he does in January and February either. Just take the whole totality of the season to you know, take each game. Like it matters. Each game matters. Each game matters. Or the, or just simply the games in March matter. Like, so to me, I watched that game and I'm like, look, man, it's it stunk. It did. This is not football. It stunk to get beat like that on Saturday. But the day that Kentucky shoots 65% or whatever they shot from the field, like 80% and like they did in the first half, that's like that's not defensive lapses. I mean, it was a game plan that maybe you know perhaps didn't work out. But it's not like Kentucky's a, you know a team that you're like, man, we got to watch out for the three point shooting. We got to watch out for how efficient they are offensively. Nobody's ever said that. I understand that effectively they've shot well this year. They're up to 12th in the country in effective field goal percentage now. And, like, they do have a good offense. And that offense has a lot of different things working for it right now. I just don't think that what we saw on Saturday we're going to see again from that Kentucky team. Therefore, I don't think what we saw on Saturday we're going to see again from that from that Tennessee defense. So, yeah, lick your wounds. Figure some stuff out and get back at it because, I mean, obviously your goals are still do, to do everything you can in March. And when you play that team again on February 15th in Knoxville, like you certainly have some incentive to play, to do things a lot differently than you did in the first game. You certainly have incentive to go out there and have a put, you know, together a much better defensive performance. Now the offense may not look like that either because that's a prideful team. Um, So I don't expect the game to look like that, the second meeting. But lick your wounds from this one. It stinks. Probably, you know, probably, you know, it hurts everybody. It's a lot of pride in that that Tennessee program. Just lick your wounds and come back ready to go because everything that you want to do, this is a good thing about basketball. Everything you want to do is still right there in front of you. So I was looking back to see last time Tennessee had given up 100, and it was taking me a little bit. I forgot they – gave up 99 in overtime to Purdue in that Sweet 16 game a few years ago. They gave up 99 once to Memphis uh, a few years back, too. Last time Tennessee gave up 100 in a game, oddly enough, was against Rick Barnes' Texas squad in, in 2007, that, that game, or I guess technically 2006, the 06-07 season, when Tennessee won 111-105 in Knoxville in that game. And actually, they gave up 100 points twice that season. I read that year in New York City, they gave up 101 to North Carolina. So... And that team ended up going to the Sweet 16 and it was a, a, a second-half collapse away from going to the Elite Eight against Ohio State that year. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's not bad news since they gave up 100. I don't know. I'm, I'm, well, I'll I, I say that we all forget. I mean, this, you know, somewhat related but not so much. Kentucky gave up like 
118 points, I believe, to that Duke team with Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. I believe it was 118 to 88. They stopped. I do, I do mirror that. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure it was like 118 to 88 was the final score of that game. I know it was bad. Uh, and some of these things, like yeah, it, it's it's not the end of the world. It's a bad performance that you can build on. And yeah, it, it stinks because I mean, I think you were. By the way, you were almost spot on. It was 118 84. So you were basically right. Yeah. Um. So they gave up, an, and that and that that was one of those like spotlight games in November when there's nothing else going on. Like there was look, if you're gonna give up a hundred something points in a game, do it on a Saturday when playoff games are going on. Because I guarantee outside of Tennessee's and you know Kentucky's fan bases, there weren't a ton of eyes on that. Whereas that Duke Kentucky game was like the champions classic thing that they do every year. And I'm pretty sure and obviously you had all the star power with Zion and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish and whoever Kentucky had that particular year. Um, like there was a lot more eyes on that game and, and Kentucky got absolutely destroyed. And I'm pretty sure that Kentucky went further that year than Duke. Yeah, that, that year was the year that Kentucky had Tyler Hero, Keldon Johnson, Reed Travis, uh, Reed Travis, excuse me, PJ Washington, Emmanuel quickly, quickly. So they had all those guys. Yeah. That's who got beat by Auburn in the Elite Eight. I think Duke may have been beaten the same round by Michigan State. Uh, I know Duke didn't go to the Final Four. I know that right. for a fact. So, yeah, like, yeah, it it, it stinks, man. It, it does. It stinks. But a game like that, there's going to be a game that just gets away from you every single season. And you hope it's not against a rival, <laughs> but this time it was. So just lick your wounds and get back because, like I said, this is basketball, man. Just focus, you know, bang out the next game because you've got much bigger issues. Like you're two and three in the league. That's got to be – that's far more important than caring too much about what happens in one game. And that's why I I don't think most basketball people put a ton of stock in what happens in just one particular conference game because depending on the league, you've got 15 of them or 17 of them or 13 more of them that you've got to focus on. And each one is just all about jockeying position for the tournament. And look, they got embarrassed in a game much bigger than this. What was it? Three years ago in Lexington, when they got beat by like 20 up there, like 88 to 68. uh, Yeah. When Tennessee was was the number one team in the country at that point. Yeah. uh, And, you know, game day was there, whatever it was. The game Kentucky was in the eighties to, uh, Tennessee was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out in the end? Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Tennessee won two out of three that year, including a win in the SEC tournament. So who cares? Man, it stinks. You hope that you look better. You didn't. You scored 80 points, bet off that offense. You gave up 107. Do some things better defensively. But that's not who you are defensively. So therefore, I'm not going to put a whole ton of stock into it. And I don't think I don't think others should either. Yeah, I mean, you talked about being two and three in the SEC, it's not going to, it's not really going to get that much easier with Tennessee either. You have a, yeah, you're playing, you're playing on the road against Vanderbilt who that should be a win, but Vanny's better this year than we're last year. And I mean, they're going to smell blood in the water. And then you play at home against LSU home against Florida and then away against Texas, like Tennessee's road schedule to start January, I guess also to start SEC play looking at Alabama. I mean, that's brutal. You play three of your toughest opponents 
in your first five game or first yeah first five games of the SEC slate and they're all away. It's at Alabama, at LSU, and at Kentucky. Like the only thing worse is if you throw in at Auburn in there. And luckily for Tennessee, they don't play Auburn until the end of February. And when they do, it's at home. So like, I mean, that's that's almost literally as rough as it could get, have gotten for Tennessee to start the SEC slate. The only way it could have been worse is against Auburn too. So like that in itself too. Like and you've obviously lost all those games and. I mean, you had a chance to be at Alabama, and you were also, you know, short COVID on that one because of your your roster. But like, I mean, it, it, it's brutal. But like you said, they're they're two and three, which I I thought was a real distinct possibility at this point in the season that Tennessee be two and three in SEC play just because of who they were playing and when they were playing them and stuff. So they they can and have a really good shot of improving to three and three against Vandy. I don't know that Tennessee beats LSU at home. I, they should beat Florida. So you're going to look at Tennessee being around five hundred by the time they play Texas for that, you know, the big 12 SEC challenge. And then you got, thankfully, we've talked about this before in the podcast, Gene, thankfully for Tennessee's sake, it's a much easier back half of the schedule than the front half. You host Texas A&M, you play at South Carolina, at Mississippi State, you host Vandy, you host Kentucky, at Arkansas, at Missouri, host Auburn, at Georgia, then host Arkansas to end the year. A lot of those are winnable. In fact, looking at Ken Palm, um, from February 1st onward, Kim Palm was only predicting Tennessee to lose one of those games. It's Kentucky. I think there's a chance, obviously, I think they lose to Auburn. I mean, I know it's home game, but that one right now is listed as a toss-up, that 50-50 with Tennessee like having like a very small 73-72 advantage in that one. I think they lose to Auburn. But it wouldn't shock me that Tennessee only loses those two games. I mean, they, they could lose to Arkansas as well because Arkansas has been kind of up and down, but I think they will be a team that improves with time. But I mean, three losses in the last half of the year is going to be a lot better and puts you in a better position than where you are right now. So I don't know. It, it's it's going to be interesting. This, the SEC is a very up and down league this year with Auburn seeming to be very much the number one team. And I think Kentucky's very much solidified themselves as number two. And that's why this Kentucky-Auburn game, I mean, we won't talk about it because we're not a SEC podcast anymore, so I don't want to get too much into it. But that's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a very interesting one to to battle out basically for the top spot in the SEC. And Auburn's now number two in the country, and you can make an argument for them being number one. In fact, their fans are pretty mad about them not being number one uh, because of one guy voting them like ninth. And if he had voted them in the top five, they'd have been number one over Gonzaga. But whatever. Uh, Gene, I think to me, the more interesting conversation to have this game isn't even the the game itself. It's kind of some questions to me that came out after the game in terms of Something Rick Barnes said that I thought it, it kind of jogged my brain a little bit in terms of thinking about this team and the the roster right now. Uh, credit, credit to Ben McKee, who writes for Ball Quest and, of course, is the, the co-host on the Swain event, who I've also worked with Ben for a couple of years when I was in sports media as a full-time job. So to, I know Ben very well, and he was – I think he was – I want to say he was in Lexington. Yeah, he was actually up in Lexington for the game. I was there for the post-game press conference with Rick Barnes. Um, and he and Rick Barnes was asked about the player that he expects to step up as a leader in practice this week after this after this loss. And here's what Ben tweeted out. It's basically it's more or less this, the exact quote. It's probably a little bit of a you know Twitter for for constraints for the characters and stuff. But here's the quote. Well, the two guys that are most real without question are Urosh and Jamai. Talking about Urosh Plavshik and Jamai Meshak. When they talk, it's authentic. Zagai talking about Sakai Ziegler, has that respect if he wanted to do it, but he's a freshman. Santi, talking about Vescovy, maybe. 
Gene, I know that wasn't really like a, it wasn't asking who are the leaders on this team. It wasn't, he wasn't being asked specifically, like, you know, he, I guess he was asked who's he expected to step up as a leader. He said the guys who are the most real without question. So I don't think he was saying these are guys are that are the leaders on the team, but these are the guys that are the most real are a role player in Urosh Plashvik and a freshman. And then he mentioned another freshman. And then he said, maybe, maybe Santi nowhere was there mentioned a, a John Fulgerson or I mean, Vescovy, yes. Nowhere was there mentioned a Josiah Jordan James. Nowhere was there mentioned Olivier Camois, which I get it. Camois was a role player up until this year, too. But, like, that was kind of surprising to me that those were the three, technically four, if you want to include Vescovy in there, too, names that got mentioned for guys that could step up because those are guys that don't don't play a lot of minutes. I think Zakai Ziegler does. But, again, Jemaya and Urosh play... Roche is lucky if he plays 15 minutes in a game and Jemai is lucky if he sees a court most games. He played, I guess he played almost 10 against uh, Kentucky, but I, I wonder how many of those were in the second half. And then Roche played 13 in that game. So you're talking about guys who don't start unless you're making a start because of injury in, in Roche's case. Guys who play 15 minutes or less in the majority of the games they play are your most real guys who have the most vocal leadership, I guess maybe is what he was saying there. You can be a leader without having to be like an in-your-face, like Al Wilson type of guy. Like if you look at Tennessee football, you can be a leader without having to do that. But I, the question I think is, maybe it's a bit unfair. Maybe I should word it differently. But I think it's a, a question worth discussing. Gene is, does Tennessee have a leadership issue? Does this team have the leadership it needs and the leadership like this specific roster needs with the the young bench players and stuff? So it, I don't know if saying there's a is there a leadership issue is if that's too harsh of a question but is the question i'm asking and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because i think you have a would have a really good insight on it i guess my biggest concern with that is having played on teams you typically need your better players to be your leaders mm-hmm. um like I, I mean i i know in the you know like people referred to it as like a dog mentality. Like it's a Juwan Jennings. It's an Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams. It's those people. You kind of need them to be the ones that are your most vocal components, your most vocal leaders. Um, and who knows, like maybe, maybe the expectation is that, you know, a guy like a Fulkerson or Josiah just do it. And he, and maybe the way the, the question was posed, maybe Barnes was thinking that, who who do I expect to step up this week? You know, stepping up would suggest that they don't already do it. So that could be the case. But um, I, I don't love the fact that if we're if we're going to take it at just how he said it, then you don't have some of those older guys who are the ones that you kind of turn to in some key moments. Um, look, I mean. Yeah, you you kind of I mean it, it it would you don't necessarily expect somebody like a, a Chandler or a Ziegler to be a freshman, but sometimes I mean I'm sorry to be your leader, but um, with that being said, they're also your point guards, and you kind of like your point guard to be your leader because they're the ones who typically have the ball in their possession almost every single play. So I think it's good that you know somebody like Vescovi was mentioned in this regard because. He is a guy who can affect the game. I mean, you know, with the ball in his hands, we can question how good of a point guard he is. Um, but I will never question how good of a player he is. 
And when he, you know, he's at his best when he's catching and shooting. I've said that for over a year now. I've said that pretty much as he got there. Um, that he, that's the type of guy who can be your vocal component. Um, I don't know necessarily the international aspect of that. I mean, maybe that, is he comfortable in that role? But the fact of the matter is they need somebody in that role. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to be a person who's going to get too concerned because like I said, in the last segment, this is not emergency break the glass time for Tennessee. Like they've lost three games on the road. One of those shorthanded and two against really good teams. I'm pretty sure that if, uh, the tournament were to start tomorrow, I think that maybe LSU, well, not now, but LSU, I think Saturday was like a two seed and maybe Kentucky was a four or yeah, I think Tennessee and Kentucky were playing for like a four, a four seed or something like that. So that's who you've lost road games to when you were essentially at full strength, Alabama, I'm not exactly sure, but I don't really pay a ton of attention to bracketology. It was just something that was sitting my way for another reason Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we'll see over the next three to five games, like who the guys are that are the leaders of this team. It'll be done by their actions on the court. It'll be done by who you see being most vocal in timeouts because Rick Barnes can't be the most vocal person every single timeout. The coaches said they can't be the most vocal people in every single timeout. There has to be a guy. Um, is it, Sakai is it Josiah is it Fulkerson is it one of these guys um like that's one of the things that I I would be interested to see going forward because whoever the answer is now's the time where you know where it's not the Kentucky loss it's the fact that you're two and three in the league details don't matter like you don't get um you know you don't get quality points you know or yeah, yeah, because well, you know, they did they lost at Alabama, but they weren't at full strength. Nobody cares. Like nobody cares. Like, you know, like Tennessee fans care. I get that. But it doesn't make it doesn't you don't get 0.75 of a loss because you had guys missing. You get a loss. So you're two and three. And like this can this can go sideways really quick if somebody doesn't step up because you know I you know you mentioned it man this schedule it does not get easier like this January schedule it is what it is man like they are it is not going anywhere so I'll be interested to see who's the person whose production starts to maybe increase over the next few games if it's one of those guys we mentioned or if it's somebody we haven't even talked about because those are the ones that are going to get this thing turned around yeah I don't it, it it is interesting because like I said, you don't have to be a big rah rah guy to to be a leader. Like that's not a requirement. Like you don't have to be again to go back to Tennessee football, you don't have to be an Al Wilson, you don't have to be a Jawan Jennings to be a leader on a team. You can be a quiet leader on the team, but you have to there are things that need to change for this team moving forward to get to where they want to go. And maybe it's the fact that, that Gene, I mean, maybe this team just isn't great. Like they, they I think they're a good team. I think they're they're gonna beat the teams most likely they're going to be the teams like Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Missouri, you know, they're Texas A&M probably. They're the A&M's have a better year than I thought they would. Like they're going to beat those teams. Do they, can they beat an LSU? Can they beat an Auburn? Can they beat a Texas? Can they go back and beat Kentucky when they play them at home? Like th- those are the questions they have to answer. Cause I think they're Tennessee basketball is to a point where 
they're they're solid and they're good but can they beat can they make that next step to be great and actually beat these quality teams that are that are sweet 16 elite eight final four type teams and like you said earlier too like fans all the time talk about regular season rick and that's 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 kind of the moniker he's gotten from from people who want to deride him for his his lack of postseason success which hey that's that's fair like the lack of postseason success is a fair criticism of Rick Barnes as a head coach. But like you said, you, you can't just say it only matters what you do in the postseason and then get furious when Tennessee goes and, and does some of the stuff in the regular season. When I was looking while you were talking about half of Tennessee's sweet 16 runs since I guess what, 2000 when they, that first sweet 16 under Jerry green, about half of them, the Tennessee's had anywhere between nine and 11 losses Actually, between seven and eleven losses in the regular season, when they made those Sweet Sixteen runs, they had you know seven losses, seven to eleven losses by the time the regular season was over. You know, losing the SEC tournament and then losing to the in the tournament, so you have had to tack on two more losses. But you look at the most recent one, obviously, is a little bit different. Tennessee had four regular season losses in that Rick Barnes year, where they went thirty-one and six. But you look back the Conzo year, they finished twenty-four and thirteen. So that means they had 11 losses in the regular season and they were 11 and seven in SEC play. You look back at obviously 2008, a little different. They finished 31 and five, but you look at that 07 season when they made a tweet 16 run and, and were very close to making it further in that year too. They finished 24 and 11. So that means they had nine losses in the regular season. We talked about last week that elite eight team had seven losses in the regular season. And then the, I guess, well, five losses for the Jerry Green team, but the, the Tennessee's teams that have gone on to, made sweet 16 runs a lot of times haven't had like the most amazing regular seasons in fact the teams that for tennessee lately in the past 20 30 years that have had some of the best regular season records haven't actually had a whole lot of postseason success you look at that that 31 and 5 team under under uh pearl they made it to a six, sweet 16 which is was good but you could judge that team and say hey they maybe should have gone further and yeah, they really, I think they really should have gone further than they they did that year. You look at the year under Rick Barnes, where Tennessee was number one for a, a month, it went thirty one and six. They should have gone further. You go back to Rick Barnes' uh, third year when they were twenty six and nine, lost in second round. They should have gone further. The only one that you can point to that lived up to expectations from what the regular season was was that Elite Eight team. But even then, they had seven losses in the regular season. They flirted with falling out of the top twenty five, just like this team is flirting. With, the, with falling out of the top 25. And, and Tennessee, as we're recording this, the new AP poll came out um, today on Monday, Gene, and Tennessee is clinging by the the, the skin of their teeth into the top 25, They're number 24. But that, that team that made the Elite Eight run dropped to number 20 after losing to, I think, Vanderbilt for the second time, I want to say. Oh, no, sorry, they lost when they lost to... Uh, where's it? I'm looking at the wrong thing here. They were on the 215, on the February 15th, they dropped down to 20th. That was because they... Yeah, they lost to Vanderbilt by 19 on the road. Vanderbilt team that was number 22 in the country, but still 19 to Vanderbilt on the road and then lost to number three Kentucky by 11. And Tennessee dropped down the 20th and that they had two mediocre wins against Georgia and South Carolina to, I think, bump up to 19. And they stayed 15 at the end of the year. But, like, that team wasn't... I don't think people were expecting them to go to the Elite Eight when that, that regular season was over and you're 23-7... and seven and what were they in SEC play at that point? They finished the regular season eleven and five in SEC play, third in the East back when they still did um, division re- division alignments. So Tennessee was eleven and five in the SEC, which would translate to about a, I guess now like a twelve and six or so, probably 
I guess would be close to what it would kind of translate to now, 12 and six, maybe even 11 and seven. But like, again, I point just that one specific team, go look back at the Collins and Martin team that got hot. That no one, nobody was expecting them to make it to the sweet 16. They barely made it into the NCAA tournament. And that's not to say this team's going to do that because this team could be like last year's team that, you know, finished the regular season 18 and nine, and then got bounced in the first round by an, in a lackluster performance against what ended up being a Cinderella team against Oregon state. So that, that could happen to this team. They could go the way of one of those other teams and have a, a surprisingly good March and, and postseason runs. So I, I mean, there's, like you said, everything they this team wants to do is still on the table, Gene, but they still have a lot to figure out. And I, I just don't think this is as bad of a team as people are thinking because of just after this Kentucky loss or after the LSU loss. I, I think this team maybe isn't as good as preseason hopes were, but it's not a bad team. I, I'm not expecting them to finish with a losing record in SEC play. I'm expecting them to still be a six-seed or better in the NCAA tournament. It's going to depend on, you know, what matchups they get and how far they can go. But I've seen plenty of, I've seen a lot of people more than usual now being on the train of, okay, Rick Barnes, it's time to move on from him when the season's over or whatever. And I'm like, I mean, I don't think he's going to be Tennessee's head coach for the next five years, probably at this point, but like I, Tennessee would be stupid to move on from him right now at this point. Like unless he steps down himself, Tennessee letting him go for one, they'd owe him a ton of money in the buyout. And two, they're not going to because who, who, like, I hate using the whole who you're going to get type of thing, but who would you get? Like, I have Steve Forbes circle to my thing because I like Steve Forbes as a person and he's doing a good job this year at Wake Forest, but he's had two years at Wake Forest and his first year was not very good. Granted, he took over a really bad situation there, but like, they're solid, but like, he's the only one that pops my head as a guy that is like a legitimate person who I can think of that Tennessee has a legitimate shot of getting that I think would be a good fit at Tennessee. I mean, even he's like, I would still have questions if he would have success here. I think I think he would, but you don't know. So I, that had to hold like three or four different points there. You can, you can kind of talk about Gene, but I just think, th- th- like you said, there's plenty still for this team to accomplish. Can they? I don't know. I'm not going to bet and say that they will, but like I, I don't. I just don't think this team is bad. I, I think that they're just not great. I don't, I don't think they're an elite team. I think they're a second round of the NCAA tournament. They, they can win the first round, and can they get into the Sweet 16? Maybe if it depends on the matchups, I just, I just, I'm not willing to write them off yet, but I'm also not willing to say, okay, they can bounce back and make it to the elite eight or something like that. I, I just, I think they're a, they're an okay team. They're not a great team. Right. Um, so we've got 14 games left and they're still, <clears throat> they're still trying to put some stuff together as far as who does what, um, is are there shakeups ahead? Perhaps I don't know. It seems like you know. I, I understand the excitement about seeing Huntley Hatfield do some stuff, but slow down. He did it. He got, he entered the game. It was eighty-one to fifty-seven. I actually, you brought that up. I do want to bring mention that because that was something. Another quote from Rick Barnes after the game that got a lot of attention, where he was asked about why didn't he play Huntley Hatfield earlier in the game? Why did he play him late? And his comment basically was saying that he didn't want to play him early to potentially shake his confidence because Tennessee was getting blown out and the game was getting away from him. And I think people took it as like, I saw people reacting and saying, well, what if you put him in that game and he played the way he did and he, he gains confidence? I, I wish you talk about that. Cause it's, I was, I was letting you kind of talk here, but I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I did want to bring up Huntley Hatfield. So go ahead and you, you can sound off on that too. Cause I, I think I, I have kind of mixed feelings on my opinion of how, what Barnes's answer was to that and how he handled that situation. 
Right. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty simple in my opinion. I mean, it's it's not as though Barnes has some history of not playing freshmen to where everybody's like, well, why, why are we not playing him? Why are we not playing Well, this is what Barnes does. You know, he played Kamwa as a freshman. He played all – he's played – the list is long of guys as he's played as a freshman. And so I'm just of the opinion, just from understanding, you know, everything that happens around the program, that perhaps the reason why Huntley Hatfield's not playing is because there's something that he's seeing and practice every single day that is keeping him from putting him on the court because – why else would he? He doesn't like him. Come on, man. Like it, it's he played the last ten minutes of the game, and I get it. it. You know he he made he scored eleven points. I get that. So while he should be playing thirty five, take focus. No, no, we're not going to do that. Um, I do think that maybe I, I get. Look, you and I have talked about this. I've said that you've got to play that kid. I've said it. How much? Do you sneak three to five minutes in and a half? Sure. Barnes has done that. Huntley Hatfield has not really done, always done well with those three to five first half minutes. And like, if you do it for those three to five, I mean, Powell starting to get on the court a little bit more. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, Barnes is showing if you go out there and you pay attention to detail and do what, you know, we're kind of asking you, you're going to get some of those minutes. I think we're almost to a point now where it wouldn't stun me if Barnes is begging Huntley Hatfield, come get these minutes, man. They're there for you. Like, like they're there for him. But, like, when, I mean, he plays the last 10 minutes of the game. I don't know how, I don't know how much he played in the first half. Like, the, the no, stat sheet just it says zero minutes. So yeah, he I'm played zero. A couple of seconds. Um, cause you know, putting him on there does suggest that he, he played, I just don't know. Otherwise you wouldn't put him on there. I guess that's um, fair, but yeah, I mean, but I remember he didn't play any in the, in the first half from, unless it was in the final, like seconds of the, of the game or seconds of the first half. I don't remember him playing. Yeah. I kept going through the, which McCollin and I just kept looking for his name, never saw it. Uh, but it said zero minutes and I guess maybe that's just a glitch because it, I mean, because uh, Mayshek also it was technically, oh no, never mind. That's the that's the first half. But but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the details. I, I don't know. But um, like they've got to figure something out because the production is they're not getting the production from the interior. Uh, but I don't think the thing. I think one thing about it is. This is not exactly breaking news. From the moment they got these guys, I know I questioned, what are you going to do on the interior? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with there? Like, this is not breaking news that, oh, wow, t- Tennessee may have some interior concerns. This has always been the case. And I said that with Huntley Hatfield, with Jonas to do all those guys, because they're learning new positions they're learning new positions. Like, don't look at the star ranking. Watch the film. Watch how those kids don't play inside. Look, if you want to blame Barnes for putting, I mean, for for recruiting these kids, we also got to blame the kids for, hey, you knew you were going to a system where you don't exactly just go five out and play outside. You're going to be asked to play some on the interior. 
If you don't like that, that's kind of a you problem because you knew. It's not like Barnes is some brand new coach. If you watch Tennessee for years, you know that they like to throw the ball inside. It's been there. It's been there. That was why I questioned all the stuff that we've said, all the stuff that's been happening around the program. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just meant that in terms of like, hey, I don't know are these, I don't think these guys are going to be immediate contributors. You know, I question maybe a dude just because he could maybe, you know, block some shots or whatever. Huntley Hatfield, I said you need to play him, but I don't know where you play him at. Because unless you want to go bigger and play with Josiah Jordan James at the three, but he's struggling to hit shots. Um, so you can't really play them because your shooting gets worse. You know, you got that three-point guard look. That seems to be mm-hmm. doing okay at times. Not always. So, again, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of questions. You said it. There's a lot of questions still surrounding this program. And the unfortunate part about that is it's January 17th. You kind of want more answers than questions at this point. But since that 2018-2019 team, every year, like you're really trying to incorporate in a lot of new pieces, a lot of new bodies. Because that was the year, that was the exception. Offensively, that was the exception. That team was the exception because it had all everybody back. All these other teams are figuring stuff out. It doesn't sound sexy to say that, but that's the reality of the situation. And I don't care about his salary. I don't care about any of that stuff. He's going, he, look, like, I, I don't think that, I mean, I understand fans care about the salary, but they shouldn't. Um, it shouldn't, it, it should not matter just because the coach makes $1.7 million or 5.0 or whatever the number may be. It doesn't mean that you should expect anything more or less from that coach. You should expect to win games. You should expect to be competitive. Right now, Tennessee has been that. They got beat Saturday and your feelings are hurt. And so now you're, you, know, you want to sit here and point fingers. That should not be the case right now. I still think this is a good team. They've got some stuff to figure out, maybe some personnel decisions. I don't know exactly what those answers are, but I'm not paid to make those decisions. I don't want to even speculate on them, but I mean, I do think that maybe something they should try is maybe figuring out a way to get Huntley Hatfield in the lineup. I don't I mean, maybe it's just 15 minutes a game. It, but I'm not getting excited because he scored 10 minutes in a game. They were down by 30 when he got in. Yeah. Because if you notice, he played those, he played those 10 minutes and it's not like Tennessee got any closer. He came in, it was 81-55. The final score was 107-79. That's minus two. So it's not like he came in and led some grand comeback. He came in and he played the last 10 minutes out of a game that they were getting blown out. He's talented. I think he's going to be a really good player. I do think he's a pro. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know any of those details. But, look, again, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly paid to make those decisions either. So they're going to figure it out. Barnes is too good of a coach for them to not figure it out. They're going to be a tournament team. They're too good to not be a tournament team unless they completely fall apart, which I don't see happening. So the question is, how can you build yourself up over these next 14 regular season games, plus whatever you do in the tournament, to make sure that you're the best version of yourself come March? Because they've got guys who've been through some battles, some wars. I mean, they were likely an NIT team two years ago. 
possibly an NCAA tournament team if they got if they continued to get hot uh, and rolled Fulkerson that year uh, to the tournament. Last year they were a tournament team. They've got guys back from that team. I still think that this is a team that can win. We'll just have to see exactly how they they make it happen. But I think that they've got the team that's talented enough to make it happen. I I really quickly while you were look, while you were talking while absorbing what you were saying too was looking at Tennessee's remaining schedule like I did just a minute ago and on Ken Palm was kind of figured out like in my head like who I think Tennessee loses to and, and what I who I think they beat I, I very easily can see Tennessee finishing the regular season with an eleven and seven SEC record which I've now gone back I've almost I guess I've gone back basically now to the point where it's right before um, the very first year with the Tennessee, their Tennessee, that SEC expanded and did away with the divisions. Um, 11 and seven gets you every year, just about every 11 and seven gets you competing for, if not a, a that top four seed that gives you that double buy in the tournament. I, I've yet to find a year where an 11 and 17 wouldn't have been competing or have gotten a, a double buy in the SEC tournament. Um, and the in the new format, but here, here's one. The only, only year that I can see so far that I found was the 2012-2013 season, which would have been what Conzo's second year at Tennessee. They Tennessee went 11 and seven, and they finished tied with Missouri for fifth in the SEC that year. And Kentucky was the fourth seed, or Bama was one of the two, and they were 12 and six. So, like the majority of the seasons in the SEC since they've gone to the new format with with no divisions. An eleven seven record gets you a double buy, and that's that's what I said at the beginning of the year. It's what you said at the beginning of the year. We, we thought Tennessee was good enough to be a top four team and, and, and get a double buy in this conference. And I think they're still good enough to do it. And they're going to have plenty of competition because Kentucky, LSU, and Auburn. I think <laughs> I think those three are going to get the top three spots. I don't know who finishes where, but I think those three are the top three teams in the SEC. And I, I think you're very it's going to be very difficult to unseat them. Right now, as I as I see it, like. Texas A&M is playing well. I, I'm I'm very curious to see if they continue this because they've played a lot better under Buzz Williams this year than I expect them to because they've not had very good years the past couple of years. They're currently second in the SEC. They're the only two, one of the only two undefeated teams left in the SEC along with Auburn. Mississippi State, I thought they'd be a decent team. They're playing pretty well. They're three and one. They're twelve and four overall. I don't know that I'll be interested to see if Arkansas and Alabama can bounce back and like, you know, they've had rough starts as well along with Tennessee, but they're, they're both teams that are around that same 11 and five mark that Tennessee is. I don't really expect Florida to bounce back. I don't expect South Carolina, Ole Miss, Missouri, or Georgia to really make too much noise. Vandy, I think will fall in the rankings. So Tennessee is really, in my opinion, going to be competing with an A&M, a Mississippi state, a Bama and an Arkansas for that fourth spot. Can they get it? Like that's the thing. Last year, Tennessee fought for that fourth spot, and they ended up they ended up getting it and, and edging out Florida at the end for that spot. And obviously, Tennessee last year, you know, made it to that fourth spot, but they didn't do well in the uh, SEC tournament or NCAA tournament. But I don't know, Gene. I I just think that I, I'm just like I'm like with you. Like I'd rather have more answers than questions or more answers than we have right now. But also at the same time, like we're still we're barely like fourth of the way through the sec slate of, of the, of the season right now we, we've still got a lot of games left on the schedule and we're still in mid-january so we're a month and a half away from postseason time basically so i mean we, we've got a lot of questions still about this team 
and not nearly as many answers as you would like. But every team has questions right now. Baylor just lost. Baylor was number one in the country, undefeated. And they lost two games in a row at home this past week. <laughs> like, that's bizarre to me. Like, that that, that happened. Uh, there was another team that had a really bad week um, on the men's side of things, too, that, that was kind of shocking. I'm trying to remember who it was. But there, there were a couple, like, top 15 teams this week that had just bad weeks. And you're like, well, I thought I, I thought we knew more about this team. But suddenly, uh, things have changed quite dramatically with, with the landscape of college basketball because of what happened this past week and it's only going to get crazier. I mean, teams are going to lose. It's very, very, very difficult. Not, you know, let alone to go undefeated in a, in a regular season nowadays in college basketball to even go just like with one, even two losses. It's really hard to do that. Um, Tennessee has five and can they keep it under 10? Like that, that's the question. If Tennessee can keep it under 10 losses in the regular season, I think they will be a decent team and, and they will be in a decent spot for a, a decent seed. I, I just don't think this team is an elite team. Now you don't have to be. We've talked about it before. You don't have to be an elite team to make a, a deep NCAA tournament run. <laughs> look at, I mean, there there have been we talked about multiple examples of mid major teams, but even look at some of the high major. Look at Syracuse, a couple, you know, several years. They've had some pretty lackluster uh, regular seasons, and because Jim Beheim is Jim Beheim, they've gone on and made a Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight run in years where they basically were written off, and, and a lot of people were were expecting them to maybe even miss the tournament or get bounced in like a first, second round. And they've gone on uh, to make, again, a, a deep run. I'm going to pull it up here in a second. But Gene, I before we kind of close it out and then talk a little bit about Lady Vols, because Lady Vols are worth talking about. That's for sure. They're, they're killing it right now. I, 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 what, in your opinion, you said it's not time to hit the panic button yet, and I agree with you. It's not time to hit that big red button just yet. When, what would constitute panic mode time for Tennessee in your opinion. I mean, it doesn't have to be a specific example. Like it doesn't have to be like, you know, losing to 25 to a bad team, but in your opinion, what would constitute a, a panic button moment for Tennessee this season? Uh, if, the, if what happens Saturday is becomes more normal defensively because that's their brand. Mm. Uh, their brand is defense. Their brand is not offense. Like it was, yeah, be happy that you scored 80 points in the game for getting blown out for pretty much the majority of the game. Um, I understand that, but this team's calling card is defense. And I don't, again, I don't think that's going to happen again. I, I, I truly don't. And, but if they are consistently letting teams look, I'm not, I don't mean team shooting 65, whatever it was percent from the field, but if they're, if they start having lapses that lead to, games because not every game's going to look the same like Tennessee mm-hmm. I mean Kentucky had almost like 75 possessions in that game like typically you know Tennessee plays games that have like uh, like five fewer possessions uh, not every game is going to have that sort of pace and speed and style to it and so I don't you know but if like say against Vandy Vandy they give up like 87 points even if they win 92 87 I'd be concerned um and like maybe Vandy shoots like 50-some percent from the field, hits a bunch of threes, whatever. If you see those things persist, that would be time to say, okay, there's something wrong with this team. I don't think that's the case right now. I, I truly don't. Um, and, and like, I think we're just at a, I think it was a really bad game. man. I mean, I don't think you, I, I don't think that can be stressed enough. It was a really bad game. But I think a lot of the anger is more just out of, you know, like feelings are hurt. 
because you got beat by a rival and yeah, it was televised, but I don't think nearly that. I don't think all that many people were watching. So yeah. Yeah. Kentucky fans get to make fun of you for, for a few weeks is what it is. You know, like if you want to go back at them, bring up Barnes overall record against Kyle Park. Y'all are even y'all can shake hands and keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but if like they, I mean, they've got a tough week this week, Vandy, LSU, I mean, add Vandy, LSU at home. Um, like and then like it's we'll see over these next five games exactly what happens there between those teams because look Texas is better than I thought I've never been a I understand we're in a new age college basketball so therefore there's new ideologies and new ways that teams are being built and Beard has done a really good job building that team um, with a, a bunch of guys that I thought that the collection of talent being thrown together like that would not work I've said it. I've I've been very vocal on that because I don't love that way of putting it together and to be fair they're three and two in their league in the big 12 which is an an awful lot better uh than the sec but they've been good um although again to be fair they've got one quality victory i'd say unless you want to count stanford uh they've got three four texas got four top 100 victories yeah, t- Tennessee has one, yeah. two, three, well, three. Yeah. So yeah. that'll be – I'd say that'll actually end up being a pretty balanced sort of affair because they play similar competition. They beat similar competition. It just depends on which league is actually better. Um, but these next few games are, are, are going to be telling to me, and to me it's not about win-loss. It's like how do you win, how do you lose? If you win a game but you're having defensive struggles, that is going to come back to bite you. If you lose a game and you just, you know, if you lose a game 67, 64, one of those sort of old Miss games that are just pesky team, like that's more of who you are. That's more of your calling card. They get the defense back. I don't, I don't think I'm too concerned about the rest, but you can always figure out ways to be a little bit better offensively. That sometimes is personnel, uh, maybe players, you know, earning more playing time and actually making the most out of it because – Again, guys like Powell, Huntley, Hatfield, those are guys who are really good offensively that I think struggle in some regards on the other side, which is why they don't play. So if they can figure that stuff out, that it actually makes your team better. And not just simply because we score more points. It's because now they are able to bring things to the table. Huntley, Hatfield, I think, could end up being a really good defender um, because he's he's long. I don't know how quick he is. I don't think he's all that quick, but he's long and he's – he has the ability to affect a lot of shots while I'm not playing center. Uh, and if you're playing like a, a four playing like kind of the same position that Eve Pons plays and you're six eleven, and you're able to affect stuff, it's a lot different than having to be a guy who's out there battling in the post against a guy six ten or whatever, who's just able to shoot little jump hooks over you or whatever. Maybe you block one of those. Um, it, so we'll see what happens with their personnel. If maybe some guys can kind of emerge uh, because I think it's about the time where you start to see maybe a guy or two emerge um, and maybe start playing a bigger role. They probably would need one or two guys to start playing a bigger role and maybe a, one or two guys to maybe take a step back. Uh, I'm not here to say and project who I think those people are. Just say I think, personally, I think it's about that time. Mm-hmm. And but those guys got to earn it. And, and mm-hmm. If those guys do it, then it's because of what they did in practice, which means 
they've now done the things that Barnes needs to see for them to get on the court, um, which again, in turn makes that team better. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to take a while for me to get there to, to get to panic button. I think we're just kind of at a, it was a bad game on the road with my, my dad against a team that really could end up being, you know, their two, their last two losses are against teams that could be, will should be playing in at least the second weekend of, uh, of, uh, of March. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and really quickly here before we transition to, again, to Lady of All Talk, I, I wanted to look, I mentioned Syracuse. Their last three deep tournament runs, because you go back to their fourth one, and it was they were like 30 and thirty and 10 or something like that. They had a really good regular season too. But two years ago, I guess last season actually, technically, they finished 15 and 8 in a regular season, 9 and 7 in the ACC, and then ended up going to the Sweet 16. So... You know, not a great, not a great uh, regular season by any any stretch of the imagination. They went, they won one game, they lost Virginia in the ACC tournament, and then went to a Sweet 16. A few years ago in the 17-18 season, they went 19 and 12 in the regular season, eight and 10 in ACC play, and they were a bubble team and they made it to. They had to play in the first four, like that that opening weekend that isn't technically the opening round, and they had to beat Arizona State to even get into the main field barely beat TCU, barely beat Michigan State, and then played Duke tough in the Sweet 16. You go back to their last, uh, I think, Elite Eight, maybe Final Four appearance. Which one was this? Did they make the – was this the Final Four? Yeah, in the in the Final Four. They made, a, they made a Final Four run after finishing the regular season 19-12, and 12, lost the only game they played in the ACC tournament, and were 19-13 and 13 going into Selection Sunday – and then they made it to the final four and they went, uh, what nine and nine in ACC play that year. So I mean, again, Syracuse has a different pedigree. Jim Bayheim has a different, is a different coach than Rick Barnes even. But like my point is that like you can have mediocre regular seasons or regular seasons that you can barely get on the bubble. And then all of a sudden you go out and, and just get hotter. You know, you have the right mixture, you got the right matchups and you make it to a deep term run. I, again, I'm not saying I expect Tennessee to do that this year. Cause I, I don't, but the regular season isn't everything. Regular season is important, and you have to answer a lot of questions in the regular season. But you can Tennessee can have a, a somewhat lackluster regular season and still go have postseason success. And a lot of people think that's the only thing that matters in college basketball. So that's the case. Then why do you care if Tennessee goes nineteen and twelve or, or twenty and eleven in the regular season if they go out and, and make it to the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight? So anyway, Gene, we, we can close up the show here talking about the real number one team in the state of Tennessee. And that is the, the lady balls because they are killing it. They, they were on the opposite end of the, of the Kentucky beat down on Sunday. Uh, they trailed 17, 11 after the first quarter and went on to just absolutely demolish Kentucky. And they did that without having to me, they're the, the sneaky MVP of the team Tamari key, because I think without her, this team isn't what they are defensively or even offensively, but she was not available at all the second half after getting injured in the second quarter. And, and good news, it seems like that's not a severe injury. Uh, Kelly Harper said after the game that it was it's going to be day-to-day, and Tennessee has a whole week off. They're, they're not playing anybody midweek this week. They don't play again until next Sunday, and they play Georgia, which is a ranked team. They're another ranked opponent. But Lady Balls won 84-58 in the, the We Back Pat game and out-rebounded uh, out-rebounded Kentucky 50-29. to 29. Uh, Ray Burrell had her best game back since her injury. Had 14 points, was a perfect 4-4 four, four from 3. 
Now, Horston didn't have a, a great game that she usually has, but still finished 11 and 7. Norton Walker had 10 and 6. Uh, Alexis Dye had 9 and 7. Keen Green had some phenomenal minutes filling in for Tamari Key and had 14 and 7. I mean, Gene, it was just like a. It was basically just a dismantling because Lady Vols, I mean, they they weren't the sharpest. They were on offense and still scored 84 points in that game. And it wasn't like they shot a bunch of free throws. They were they went to the three line 12 times. And to their credit, they made 10 of them. That was their best free throw shooting game, I thought, of the year so far. But they made threes, and that was something they've missed all year. Um, obviously, Ray Burrell, 4-4, four four, that was the big one. But you had Tess Darby also hit three of her six. Like, that that was the difference in the offense was missing was, was that extra three-point threat that Ray Burrell gave them. And aside from Ryan Howard, I mean, Kentucky didn't have anything. She was 11 of 21 for 24 points. The rest of the team scored 34 points total. And the, most of that came from Jasmine Massengale, former Lady Vol, who had 13 points in the game. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Ryan Howard, I mean, I don't know where Kentucky would have been in that game because they wouldn't have been anywhere close to the, to the final scores, what it was. But I, I think it's still, you know, we're talking about this is still mid-January. I mean, Lady Vols, you hope they're not peaking at this point because this is not where you want to be playing your best basketball. You want to be playing your best basketball in March. But Gene, this the the confidence that I see from these players and the confidence I have watching when I'm watching the games is something I haven't felt and or seen since the past summer days. And that that to me is the difference in this team. The, the coaching is different. Like I think they're a very well-coached team. And I think the team chemistry is the best it's been in years because I think these players actually genuinely like each other and play for each other. And I think that was reflected in Ray Burrell's post-game press conference. I think it's been reflected in um, a lot of different comments from players and stuff after games. But I think this team, I think you can actually tell they like each other and they respect each other and they actually really like each other's teammates. And they're not, there, there isn't, there's not very much selfishness going on in the locker room this time. That that has been an issue with the Vols. Uh, in years past, and I don't think it's an issue anymore with this team. And I think that's that to, that to me and the consistency on defense is the biggest differences from the last, you know, five, six years of, of Lady of All basketball. Right. So I'm, I'm not really, I mean, I was at the game yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a chance to kind of take it in. Um, and that a, like that Kentucky team's not very good. Um, like they have zero height, they have which means they have zero answer for key or green. Um, they, they got pounded on the boards. Uh, it, let me see exactly just how bad it was. Fit what? Okay, fifty to twenty nine, and twenty one of those were offensive. And you know, like I watched, like Kentucky's only chance was uh, a first quarter where I'm pretty sure Ryan Howard had like either nine or eleven of the seventeen points, and uh, mm-hmm. Kentucky had the lead. Um, and as the game went on, you just kind of looked and, uh, you know, like that, it's not a good team, but as far as, as far as Tennessee was concerned, just showing different ways that they could be effective. Um, green is no slouch. She's been a very, she's been a very good college player. She just hasn't really had the opportunities in Knoxville to really show all of that, but that's because she's behind a difference maker inside. Um, she's a good player. Green's a good player. She's not a difference maker. Like, you know, Key can affect one side of the court. Um, and that's that's important. She can completely affect one side of the court. And you can get the offensive stuff. Like, you've got players offensively. Ray Burrell was hitting shots. I think she was, what, four for four from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've got players to hit shots. Like, Horston is, 
that's such a good player. Darby affects you from three-point range. They've got uh, everybody that they played did solid work yesterday. Um, that's a great team. You know, Da is really good. I think mean, she's just figured out exactly where she could be effective. It's attacking the basket. It's hitting mid-range shots. Um, she, I mean, she took a three yesterday. I don't remember it. She missed it. But she's effective. And so they've got a team that is completely bought in on the roles that are necessary for them to play, for them to be effective. And as they bounce, as they and as they show who their rotation is, it's Dye, it's Walker, it's Key. Um, when she's healthy, it's Darby, it's Horston. Uh, Miles got some first half minutes, but really it's Burrell and Green coming off the bench. Um, as long as that become <clears throat> those players become very content in what they're being asked to do, this team's going to continue to win because they are a really good team. Like that was an overwhelming victory yesterday and against a team that is good. They're not deep. I mean, Kentucky only has, I think, nine players. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, they only have nine players. And some of those players didn't even get in the game until the game was already over, uh, more or less. And, you know, when you don't have those options, like, yeah, you're going to play what you've got. And that's just – that's a decent team. That's not a team that's going to go very far. Unless Ryan Howard has one of those Kimba Walker sort of experiences <laughs> in March, which I just don't foresee, although she is great. And, you know, she could end up being the number one pick in the draft. Um but yeah, like today, this is all about today's about Tennessee and that is a dominating, that was a dominating victory over a really good team. I'm sorry, a dominating victory over a good team with a really good player. And it's just, it just adds to the list of dominating victories they have because they have depth, they have size, they have speed, they have quickness, they have everything you need. Um, like they shot it. They shot it great yesterday. That's not something they typically do. Mm-hmm. They have all the ingredients to, to make a deep run in March. We've said it about the men's side, but it, it, and you mentioned it there, it holds true for the women's side too. Like the, the truly great teams are teams that can win in many different ways. The lay balls have shown that this year. They can win if the game is only in the forties. I mean, Tennessee beat the Grannies earlier in the year, but they beat UCF 49, 41. The lady balls can win really ugly defensive contests. They could also win when, they need to put up more points and then put a bunch of points. I mean, they didn't have to put up a bunch of points against Kentucky, but I'm talking about ever since basically ever since Ray Brell's come back, this team has been able to score at least 70 points in a game. Uh, I think every time that except for the Vanderbilt game that she's been on the court. Um, so they, they've, they can do it when they, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see if the three point shooting really continues because it does seem like Tess Darby has really found that different gear in SEC play. And now that it looks like Ray Burrell is finally healthy and, you know, got her her legs back underneath her and everything it seems like she's knocked off the rust finally and as you know she's not going to be 100 percent every game and moving forward from three but if she can even just make 30 percent of them that's that's and gives tennessee another option besides just test darby from three that opens up a lot more possibilities on offense than they've had in the, the you know they had the first month and a half of the year when she was gone so i think you know to your point of on the men's side and you, you just mentioned it with the lady balls a second ago they can win in a multitude of ways. They're, they're not they're not just a one dimensional team. Now their defense is a lot better than their offense uh, on average, but the offense is now showing that they they can find more ways to score, more ways to do things. Again, like you said, the Kentucky team didn't have a lot of height. Can Tennessee do this against a team that has better post players than Kentucky? Because that would be the different question. You know, can, if Tamari Key is shut down in terms of 
offensive league is she if she gets touches and she's being bullied in the not really bullied but if she's not effective in the paint where the Balls can have kind of inside out offense if Keenan Green can't do some things on offense either when she's in there if Alexis Dye isn't able to cut the basket like you said she's she's found her her way of, of contributing on this team if she's being shut down then if the Balls have to really truly rely on a perimeter game and more of a mid-range game can they be effective and if they can't Again, I think their defense can win games for them because they, they they did that earlier this year when they weren't having much offensive success at all. I mean, people may have forgotten, but look look at some of the scores in those early games. They beat Southern Illinois 59-49, UCF 49-41, USF 52-49. That Texas game was the first time we saw any offense, and it was 74-70 in an overtime game. Uh, but 68-58 to Kansas, and Virginia Tech was 64-58. They did win 80-55 against Oklahoma State, but like – there wasn't, there weren't very many high scoring games at the start of the SEC slate. They beat Alabama 62 44. So, like, there, there hasn't been a bunch of scoring from Tennessee until lately. And even then, it's been like still in the low 70s for the most part up until the Kentucky game. So, I, I'm with you. Like, what truly makes teams great is the fact that you can win in, in different styles. You don't just use the same style over and over and over again to win. Because, look, that, that's what happened with Virginia for years on the men's side. They use that really slow tempo really good defense and they would get bounced in the first second round of the NCAA tournament a lot. It wasn't until they really started to pick up their offense and, and still play with a slower tempo, but have more efficient offense and actually have some good offensive players that they're able to finally break that, that get that monkey off their back and actually go win a title and have a lot of, and have some success in the NCAA tournament. Um, I, 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 to me, I'm, I'm trying to hold back my expectations for this lady balls team because I'm trying not to get too excited because maybe it's just the Vol fan in me. And I've been burned too many times, Gene. But I, I mean, I have high hopes for this team. Like, I legitimately do. I, I, I'm not expect. I'm not expecting a Final Four. I, I'm really not. But this team, they're number one in the SEC right now. But they also still have to play. You know, they haven't played the top other four teams in the SEC much, if at all, at this point. I think because they still have South Carolina on the schedule. They still have uh, some really tough teams on the schedule. They still have LSU, which they haven't played yet. In fact, they won't play LSU to the um, regular season finale, but I, I think this is this is to me. It's definitely the best team they've also had in a long time. That's that's reflected in the record because it's not like they've played a, a soft schedule up to now, and their only loss is to Stanford. This is the best start the Lady have had to a season since the last time they won a national championship in that 2007-08 team. So, um, I'm basically saying I'm, I'm I'm trying to temper my expectations, and I think they are because I'm, I'm not I'm fully not expecting this team to go win a title or this team to even make a final four. But I am very impressed with this team. And I, I think that number five ranking is very warranted. In fact, you could argue they could be ahead of an NC state or Louisville based on what NC state and Louisville has done and kind of who they lost to and stuff. But this lady balls team is, is legit. And Gene, I I've said it already multiple times on the, on the lady of all basketball fever podcast that UConn game I know they'll they'll be without Paige Beckers probably still at that point on February sixth. Man, I cannot wait for that game. That that game is I'm more excited for that game than I am any other game on on the schedule for the men's or women's side either one. Like that game, I cannot wait to watch Tennessee and UConn play this season. It, it that one's going to be fun, a lot of fun up in Hartford. And I, I think that that could be. Yeah, it may be a diminished product, but look, man, college I mean, college women's college basketball typically stockpiles the talent in about nine different places, like mm-hmm. nine or ten different schools. 
typically get all the top players. So, yeah, they don't have Beckers, but they've also had like 10 or 12 games to adjust to life without Beckers. So they still should be a really good team. And it's a game at stores. So um, I don't think anybody's going to be exactly tearing up because they don't have – yeah, she's a great player, great player, as good of a player as there is in the country. Uh, you know, probably the best player in the country. But, like, nobody's going to be shedding tears because it's kind of like Alabama losing a wide receiver, a five-star wide receiver. It's like, you got others, <laughs> you know? So UConn is like, yeah, okay, you got – you lost a five-star player that's a great player. You lost quite possibly the best player in women's college basketball. You've got other great ones. Vena Westbrook is still up there. Uh, other great players are still up there. You can still – you've had enough time to adjust – to her loss to still be a really good team when those two teams play. Oh yeah. And that also, again, I don't, I'm not expecting uh, Beckers to be back like anytime super soon, but she was, she had, wasn't she was out her without her crutches when UConn played this weekend. So, I mean, she, she making progress and they also have that uh, really good freshman. Uh, well, supposedly really good freshman as he, as he, as he fud. I don't know how you say her first name. Um, she hasn't played since November 22nd and she's running on a treadmill and hopes to return from her right foot injury very soon. So, I mean, again, you may be without Paige Beckers, but you could be getting back at a star freshman just in time to play Tennessee. And then you could also, again, it's not like you have a, it's not like you have a bad roster without Paige Beckers. They're, they're still a top 10 team and it's going to be a legitimate top 10 matchup. unless UConn or Tennessee loses before then, I still think both teams will be in the top 10, but it, it'll be a legit top 10 matchup, um, when that's on noon which i think is weird but noon on fox on that sunday february 6th but uh I, i'm very excited for that and I'm, I'm still excited for the men's team like i i, I know people are, are probably down on them a lot more now because of what happened in the kentucky game but man i i'm still like i'm still looking forward to it i still think this variable game is going to be <laughs> it's going to be tougher than what people are going to want to admit i think uh, again it being it being on the road especially and vandy still not a their bottom half of the SEC, I think, and when it when it's all said and done, but they're playing better, man. And, and Scottie Pippen is more than capable of having a type of performance that Tate Washington had against Tennessee this past weekend, where he dropped twenty six or twenty eight or whatever he did. I mean, he he's scoring basically nineteen a game right now. Uh, in conference play, what is he totaling? In conference play, he is averaging twenty one points per game in four games for Vandy, uh, and he is shooting fifty four. No, 55% from two, 33% from three, and he's attempting almost 10 free throws a game. And he's got 21, five assists and two boards and a steal and a half per game. Uh, five five turnovers per game, but, I mean, he's a he's he's a young guy. But still, like, Scotty's Pippen Jr. is a legit he, – he'll be one of the best players Tennessee faces this year, regardless of position. Um, but they're 10 and 6. Stackhouse is, is your boy Stackhouse, Gene. He's, he's, he's actually doing okay. Their two SEC wins have come – uh, against Arkansas, and then they beat Georgia. So, I mean, Georgia's not very good. But Arkansas win was a legit win. Is on the road, and it was a 75-74 victory over a, a, an Arkansas team that is not nearly as good this year, but they're still not that awful team either. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have any other closing thoughts other than that. I think that this is going to be – it's going to be an interesting end of January, I will say that, for the men's team and for the women's team too, but definitely the men's team to go back to them for just a second as we close out the show. January is just a tough month for this team looking at the schedule. So I don't know, Gina, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts you want to end with or not, but if not, we can go ahead and end the show here. I'll, I'll simply say this. Um, Cause you see it everywhere. Like, yeah, Saturday was tough. 
but be mindful that we don't necessarily know the health of every single player of every single team um, that is being laid out there. So just because they're testing negative doesn't mean that they're not feeling some effects. It was a bad game. Bad games happen. Uh, I'm not here to make excuse for anybody or suggest anything, but I mean, that is something to take in consideration. Um, Look, it stunk. I think they'll be fine. I still think they're a good team. Nobody ever thought this was going to be a national championship contender. I think they're a good team that were made a good team, and we'll see what happens going forward. I think that's a good way of saying it, and I think that's a good place to go ahead and end the show here. Again, thank you all so much. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening on your phone or laptop or tablet or computer, whatever, no matter how you're taking in the show, we, we really appreciate it. And I want to say thank you. You've made the start of 2022 really good so far. We're halfway through the month and already making <laughs> making really big strides in, in some of the viewership numbers and, and, and whatnot for uh, the show here. So thank you all so much. We really, really, really appreciate it. Signing off for Gene. I'm Nathaniel Rutherford. And this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fear Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.